0: All right, so uh, I have a question to ask you. Okay, but first, a little bit of backstory. All right. So a few weeks ago, the position that I currently hold opened up in a different department for the company I work for. Right, a lateral move, lateral basically. Move, right. And I told you about this before, but just a little little backstory. Hmm. Uh. And it opened in the department that I used to work for, right? So everyone there knows me. I worked there for three and a half years, good friends with everybody. And I'd like to move back to my old department. So uh, I, I decide I'm going to apply for it, mm-hmm. which then puts me in the awkward position to talk to my current boss about my current boss who I am training to take over their position right when they retire in a couple years right so that puts me in the awkward position to go talk to her say you know just sort of be like i want to be like level with you i'm applying for this position blah, blah, blah 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 i do that super awkward really uncomfortable the whole thing
1: Especially with you saying it
0: exactly right, right? There could you, be nobody worse.
1: You could make right? any awkward moment. <laughs> yeah, feel more.
0: yeah. And it, like, I literally had the the moment where I was like, I was standing in the threshold of my office door, mm. and I couldn't move, and I was mm. like. And I'm telling myself, as corny as it is, I'm telling myself, I'm like, you've got to do it now. If you don't do it now, you're not going to do it. You've got to do it. So I, I walk in. I go talk to her. It, and it was fine. Like I said, it was awkward. It was uncomfortable, of course. But it's fine. She wasn't upset. She didn't really care. She understood, blah, 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 blah. A few weeks go by. I interview for the position. And the interview does not go well <laughs> for whatever reason. It just didn't go well. Uh, and so I end up not getting the job somehow even though I'm applying for the position that I'm currently working <laughs> in the department that I worked in for three and a half years I don't get the job that's how poor my interview was right so now I'm left in the position of do I have to tell my boss that I didn't get that job or do can I just go back to work like normal?
1: So do you have to, um, do I
0: have to tell my boss I didn't get the job or can, or I'm because the way I'm looking at it is. (laughs) I mean, I guess the way (laughs) I'm looking at it is I really don't want to have a second conversation. So I've justified it to myself as like, she doesn't really need to know like, right. Like if I don't say something, eventually she'll just assume that he didn't get the workout. Right? No, uh, Julia, you know, is adamant. Like I have to tell her, like she's a manager and she says, if someone was like, Hey, I'm interviewing for the shop and then never brought it up again, she would find it weird.
1: Yeah. I think, I think you do have to say something, but it doesn't have to be awkward. That's, that's the biggest thing that I think you need to,
0: well, look, I'm not purposefully making things awkward. <laughs> like I'm not trying to do that.
1: Just shout it down the hall. Maybe like that. Like, Good morning. <laughs> well, it's not like bi-
0: maybe I can just email her. Maybe I'll like pick one of the days that she's out and then email her. But that feels so like it just feels like Look, so.
1: She'll understand. You see to walk into her office and be like, you know how it is every time I try and talk to you. <laughs> well, that happened again at the interview. So <laughs> like, obviously I didn't get the job. Yeah. I and guess. she'd understand. She'd be like, Oh yeah, I-, I mean
0: that's the thing that's the thing that I have to realize is she's she doesn't care either way, right? Yeah. She's gonna understand either way, but for some reason I don't know.
1: Yeah, you just don't like talking to people. So
0: uncomfortable there's just that confrontation. I guess I can imagine it going so many different ways. Right. That would be unpleasant that I psych mm. myself out of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean I could see it going so many ways that are pleasant though. I could see as this an offhand remark of you're talking about something you go, "Oh, by the way, you know, I interviewed for that other position. I don't think it's going to work out. So, thank you for understanding." Yeah. And then she'd be like, "Oh, yeah, no problem." Right? Yeah, is but that, is the, that how she sounds Okay. <laughs> no.
0: But like how does that conversation end? Do I then just get up and leave? Like that's the other thing I think about. Like when I was thinking about telling her that I was interviewing about it, like what's my, how do I, what are the logistics of that conversation? Do I just stand in her doorway and be like, Hey, I'm interviewing for this. Do I walk in and sit down in her chair and and be like, we're about to have like a real conversation. Do I close the door? Do I leave the door open? Like there's all of these, (laughs) There's all of these variables that I get. Do hung I show up on. the
1: gun before or <laughs> right. after? I ask for the money. Right. Do I? You, you remind me of like Ricky Bobby from Talladega Nights, where he's like being interviewed and his hands slowly start creeping up into frame. He's like, I don't know what to do with my hands. Yeah, like you're 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 that person. You're you're worried about placement of your hands. I think it just has we, to be an offhand offhanded thing. It You know, it could be a total like
0: it's be like. Hey, I'm going to lunch. By the way, I didn't get that job. Absolutely. See ya. Yeah. That seems so we- that seems way more hey, weird. Hey, I'm
1: going to run to Starbucks just get some coffee. <laughs> by the way, didn't get that job. Do you want some anything? Anything I can get for you? No. See, that seems that
0: I don't think that because it's it, I don't know. That does, doesn't seem like it's going to work to me.
1: It'll work. Believe me. Yeah, well, that line is crep vetted and approved. <laughs> is it? Yeah, it doesn't give me any confidence
0: because <laughs> you have just as many awkward stories as I do.
1: <laughs> not not based on me not getting a job telling my boss stories. Yeah, maybe those are those are pretty normal for yeah. me. But
0: I, I guess I just don't see the like, I don't see what's wrong with just not
1: saying anything. You have to say something because look, <laughs> you said something before. You Why does that this, seem so
0: obvious to other right. people, right?
1: Well, because it's a it's called a bookend, right? You start with something, you end with something similar, right? You bookend it. It's like you start with a conversation, you end with a conversation. End, right? You don't start with a conversation and then just let something play out and they'll be mm. like, uh, it'll peter out. Is that how you broke up with girlfriends? You'd ask them on a date, but then when it was over, you're just like, uh, they'll get the idea when I stop calling. That is exactly how <laughs> I've broken up with every girlfriend.
0: That is literally how I've broken up we with. Got,
1: we we got to the source. Two There's or the three problem. of my girlfriends. Yes,
0: I just start acting less and less interested, and then eventually it ends with a phone call that's like, "Have a good life." <laughs> and I'm from, just like from, from who? And from then them I hang to up you, or like, from you to them? Thank God that is
1: over with. <laughs> And I didn't really have to say anything. So you're just dreading that phone call of, like, I hate your guts and yeah, then you I can guess, move on?
0: Man, I guess that kind of makes me a little bit of a weasel. You said it. Yeah, well, this is uh, Everything's Interesting. My name is Justin Blizzard. And I'm here with Keith Krepko.
1: Who's not a weasel.
0: Yeah. At least when it comes to this. Sure. Uh, today we're going to talk about. Interstellar. I think that'll probably take up the whole show, hopefully. So, we're not going to have a middle segment unless we think of something
1: in between. While we're talking about Interstellar.
0: Yeah. So, we'll talk about Interstellar. Um, you know, it'll be a spoiler filled discussion on our thoughts of the movie. And we'll close with recommendations. Uh, but first, we're going to take a break, and then we will talk about Interstellar. So we both saw Interstellar.
1: I, I think I am the only one who truly saw. Yeah, well, that, that's
0: though. the first thing I was going to ask you about. You oh, saw good. it in IMAX. Mm-hmm. So why don't you talk about that a little bit?
1: Uh, well, I have a Letterboxd account, <laughs> oh, and okay. uh, let me start with that. And um, on there, I try and write little thoughts about films, and, and what I started writing. Do you after have a username?
0: Letterbox.com slash where someone um, can read this?
1: If they want to search, it's actually... I'm blanking. I guess you could search my name or you could search... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I tell you blanks. I, sure. I I made a pseudonym up for it. Yeah, because of at course. First, yeah, because, you know, with social media sites, you don't know how you're going to use them and you don't know what they're going to be used for. Mm-hmm. So you always... I always start with a pseudonym thinking... I can change my name, but you know what we can do? We can link to it, right? In yeah, the show notes? Uh, yeah, I can link to it. Yeah, link link to my Letterboxd account. Have fun. Uh, <laughs> peruse through those. But on my thoughts, I started with like, I was like, I need, I feel like I need to state that I saw this in IMAX and that colors my experience. I don't see how it can't, you know? Sure. Like it was truly overwhelming to see it in IMAX mm-hmm. in a good way. And, um, so I, you know, I think this is kind of, I don't know if it's a cop out or anything, but I feel like you have to see this in, in IMAX to really, I think, get what he was doing with it. Like fully get it. Okay. What if none of my issues are with the visuals? Well, no, but, but I'm saying, I just, think that it's something that if you don't experience, then you can't understand, you know, what I'm talking about when I talk about my experience of the film. Sure. Like, like there's a fundamental disconnect. Like, I had a fundamentally different experience based on the screen size and based on, you know, the surroundings I saw it in than, than you had at a, you know, regal theater, not in IMAX, you know? It
0: sounds a little elitist. Well, see that—that's I'm saying. I don't know how to say. And it. the theater I went to is called Regal. So. Uh,
1: true, true. But I mean this this IMAX. Like in in this film, there are huge frames, right? Of space, of planets that Nothing. they're on, and <laughs> you have to search the frame, right? And there was when they are on one planet. I noticed, like, I'm looking at this scene, you know, playing out. And I'm just looking at all the stuff on the frame. I look over to the left corner and there's like a a shot of like a whole valley that I just never noticed, Mm -hmm. you know, even as I was looking for a few seconds to everything else. And it was like, Oh, like I, I literally, I pointed to my wife. It was, Mm -hmm. it was like, you know, when you're driving in a car and you look over and like, Oh, look at the view. Look at that view. You know, Yeah. I'm doing that like in a film, like, you know, it's just a picture of something, but I'm still overwhelmed enough to be like, Look, look at that. Look in the corner quick, Yeah, you know?
0: That doesn't strike me as anything different, though, from an interesting landscape in a video game. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a, we're not, and that's not to downplay it. Because I like video games, and I do like that experience of playing a video game and, like, finding an area that you never knew existed. You know what I mean? Or just, like, sort of going out of the way and being like, hey, here's something here that somebody took the time to create. There's nothing here. It's completely meaningless, right? But it's an interesting visual. Um, So I, I get that aspect of it. But at the same time, like... That doesn't make a video game good. Yeah, you know what I mean, yeah,
1: no, I, I, and that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that as good. Sure. I guess, I guess it kind of speaks. It was just the experience was totally different. And and I yeah. guess, I guess what I what I'm trying to say is, you know, when I was walking out of the film, I was trying to evaluate it as well, and I felt completely unprepared to evaluate it because I felt like normally you can kind of scale out a film, right? You can be like, uh. You know, the acting was good. The story was kind of, you know, wasn't so great. You know, this actor was amazing. And you can kind of weigh it out, right? Mm -hmm. But with Interstellar and maybe, again, it's just the IMAX 2 experience that's coloring my idea. I'm, I'm just trying to be honest with, like, maybe I'm just totally biased. But I walked out and I was like, it's like on one scale, one side of the scale for, like, the good side, you have, like, a dwarf planet. That's just been placed like on that scale because it's just enormous. And then on the other side, you have like your, like your movie critiques, you know, like, oh, maybe the story didn't hold up so much. This actor wasn't so great, but you still on the other side have to deal with the fact that there are images, that there are ideas, that there's acting, right? That is hitting you or trying to hit at such a high caliber. And I think succeeding It dwarfs, you know, other kind of negative reactions, like at least for me, it did, you know, not saying that all my reaction was positive, but just like, right, you know, how, how can I
0: evaluate it? Maybe it's the same argument as being like, uh, I recognize the lyrics to this Kanye West song are absolutely ridiculous, (laughs) but it sounds so good. It sounds right. Yeah, I can I can kind of see that. Although, like I said, none of my issues with the film were with the visuals. I did have I didn't have an issue with the visuals. Uh, we'll get to that a little bit later. But is that? I mean, obviously, not everyone has access to an IMAX theater, right? Yeah. So, I mean, is that? is that fair? It's not the right question. Is that, you know what I mean? But it's like, so what does that say for the movie once it's no longer in theaters?
1: Yeah, exactly. But I do think that there's something about, you know, you hear about people saying like, go see, um, at a restoration theater, or whatever, um, Lawrence of Arabia. Sure. Like seeing that projected, in 70 millimeter or however they want to project on the big screen changes your engagement with the film. I've seen Lawrence of Arabia on a small screen and the desert scenes are amazing, but they're not overwhelming, you know? And I think there's something to be said about film, the medium being on a big screen that we're losing, right? Mm -hmm. Like everything's moving video on demand, streaming, like small screens. I've watched so many films on an iPad screen. Mm-hmm. I've even watched films on my you know, phone. Mm-hmm. Um, that we have lost the idea of how size can color and impact uh, experience. And so for me, seeing this in IMAX was number one, a reminder of like, oh yeah, like I should probably try and see more movies out in theaters to mm. experience them, you know, rather than on a small screen where I can, you know, sometimes not be as overwhelmed as I should be with the visuals, you know? Right. And so, and so, and so my experience is is being colored more by some of the, some of the other concerns, right, that, yeah. that I think some people have.
0: I have, a, and I had a couple questions for you. What is, how is the IMAX theater at that museum? Because mm-hmm. the impression I get is that it's like, Kind of like this little rinky-dink sort of like country operation. Mm -hmm. Is that how it is?
1: Well, this is totally off topic. So unless you're in the Virginia Beach area, this may not be useful information. But our IMAX screen is amazing. Number one, because the
0: yeah, and it's a it's a real IMAX theater. Right, but like my impression, I've never been there. It's just that it's just because it's of where it's at in Virginia beach and because it just strikes me as like this kind of like real low rent operation.
1: And because they charge $10 only for like, they don't understand. I don't think what they, what they have. I mean, it's $10 to go see an IMAX film, but look, you know, the screen or so to speak, like the wall that's on, I didn't notice it too much. I think that there are certain things where you realize that there's a, chip in the wall, maybe here or something like that. But, but does not it, it's not to the point where you like see that spot all the way through. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I totally got lost and enveloped and, and I do love film. Like I, I believe that I would know if I'm like, this is terrible. The sound too is amazing in that theater, which is another thing that I'm really big about, but I could feel like, I don't know if you could feel in your Regal. How they have, did they have the sound? Well, that um, was the
0: other thing I wanted to ask you about. So I saw the movie at, at a Regal theater and I guess is one of their specials theaters called RPX. RPX. I don't yeah. know what the difference is. I mean, right. the screen seemed pretty big. Um, And this is something that I've seen come up in some reviews and in in some other podcasts I've heard people talk about. And I've heard people talk about it as a good thing and a bad thing. There were moments where the score was so overwhelming that I couldn't hear what the characters were saying. Really, I didn't. I didn't. I don't think that's like that strikes me as like a bug, not a feature. You know what I mean? Like that's not a good thing to me. When like R P X,
1: where the music will overpower. the... and I
0: didn't know if that was because of the theater I saw it in. I didn't know if that was like. uh, I didn't know if that was like. The point, if it was supposed to be like that, you know, I didn't know if it was like, is there some sort of special sound calibration that IMAX theaters feature? Uh, And that's why it sounded like that. But I mean, there were literal moments where it's like, the score is so loud, I couldn't hear what the characters were saying to each other.
1: Maybe you're just getting older. I don't know. No,
0: I've heard other people say the same thing.
1: Yeah, well, I guess I've heard some people say the same thing, but then I heard some people say that, it was fixed. So, I mean, could it be something that was with the, like that print of the, or however films are distributed now that, that was making that high. I mean, to me that didn't stand out. I was overwhelmed though, again, by like the soundtrack, but in a good way, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I was like feeling it like in my seat and um, I guess we can talk about the score later on, whether or not you, you liked it. I, I loved it. And, and that experience too, I think, led to this experience that, you know, it's just like only in that space do I think I could have the experience that I had. I don't know that I'd have the same in an RPX screen, but like you, I don't know what the difference between RPX and right.
0: The only thing I really have to say about the score is that it was just so overbearing that I didn't really, I was just ready for it to be done. You know what I mean? And like I said, that it, it, to me, it was more of a nuisance than anything else because it started interfering with what was happening in the uh, movie? You
1: yeah, know? yeah, you say I didn't have that. But so, what, what was your, I mean, I kind of, you know. Yeah, so my other question my-
0: is, or kind of maybe not a question, but you brought up Lawrence of Arabia. That movie has stood the test of time, right? Mm-hmm. We know that it is good out on a small screen. Do you obviously you don't know this, can't know this definitively. Do you see the same sort of projection for Interstellar? Do you see yourself watching Interstellar on your iPad and being just as moved or, you know, at least moved as when you saw an IMAX?
1: I, thi- I think that we approach films from maybe a wrong angle now in 2014, um, which is to... Focus solely on will a film stand the test of time based on its visuals? Like will the technology, the CGI withstand and equaling that to whether or not a film is like word sure, the test Sure, but you
0: of time? were but you were saying that the visuals were what you loved most about it. And if the question is, will this story stand the test of time? Right.
1: The answer is no. Right. I think it's pretty definitively no. Well, look, I mean, I will say I will be shocked, and again, I'm I don't work in the film industry. I don't know what's coming around the bend. I will be shocked if the visuals of this film are viewed as outdated in decades. No, well, there's know. nothing
0: that spectacular about them in terms of in terms of their like otherworldliness. They're all very uh pedestrian, I feel what? like. What yes, absolutely.
1: Th- this is where. I am totally and utterly in disagreement with you. Okay. Based on, I mean, I would say Saturn, the Saturn series and scene stands mm-hmm. out.
0: And and you know what it looks like? It looks like a really high fidelity version of Saturn. With, like,
1: with them. And that's great progressing but that's what. but that's
0: what i'm saying it's not anything i haven't seen before it's not a it's it's saturn like we know what saturn looks like right there's not much they can do with it it looks great but it looks like saturn that's what i'm saying that's what i'm saying like okay so before we get into it i just want to say again i know we said in the intro but as of right now you know all spoilers we're not we don't
1: well, do, do you want to give a thumbs up, thumbs down before we jump sure, in? Sure, yeah, yeah. So, what, what would you say?
0: I would say, uh, yeah, I would say, uh, I would say see it in the theaters. Um, it's entertaining. That's what I would say. I don't, I by no means, uh, by the end of this conversation, you're going to think that I hated the movie, right? The you as in the listener. I enjoyed watching it in the theaters. I don't think it's a
1: masterpiece
0: it's certainly not a masterpiece mm-hmm. it's not a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination but it's not like it's definitely not a masterpiece i wouldn't even call it great but it's uh. it's an entertaining movie
1: i mean i would say absolutely 100 go see it i would say if you can see it in imax not because of an elitist like imax is fundamentally the best environment and i've I watched at this IMAX screen, I've gone seen a few films, including Batman and the last Superman films. Mm -hmm. And they were, I was not overwhelmed. Like it's not just the fact that you're seeing something on IMAX, right? It's, it's how is that being used and utilized? And for interstellar, I think it's being utilized like to its maximum effect, like in terms of the visuals and what is being done. Mm -hmm. And, maybe that's part of what we're what we're talking about here you know i don't know if i saw them contained on a smaller screen if i would be as overwhelmed by them as i was like that saturn scene like mm-hmm. it was saturn was enormous and they were tiny and i was close to the screen and it was it was over i'm looking at everything i'm looking at the rings of saturn i'm sure my eyes are being like moved around the screen in exploration mm-hmm. instead of you know objectively sitting back and taking all in being like, yes, there's, there's Saturn and there's Mm -hmm. the small ship. Yeah. But, and, and again,
0: like I said, the visuals for me are fine, right? I don't have any issues with the visuals outside of what we'll talk about right now. My issues are coming from the, I would probably say mainly the dialogue. I don't even have that big of an issue with the story. Okay. So why don't we start with the visuals and then move into the story? Sure. So anyways, what I'm saying is Saturn is Saturn. Like I said, we know what Saturn looks like. There's not much you can do with it that that would be without making like an unscientific representation of Saturn, right? So I get that. And I feel like what you're speaking about is the overwhelming nature of the size of the screen And what I'm speaking of is seeing something that I've never seen before, right? So like I said, with Saturn, you can't do much with it because we know what it looks like. So then you get into the wormhole experience, which is done well, right? But again, it is star fields being sort of bent and manipulated. You're not getting what I feel like is any sort of unique imagery from it, right? You're seeing what looks like a star field, and you're seeing one perspective of it, and you're seeing a different perspective that's sort of like incongruous with that perspective, and then they're being (laughs) twisted around and manipulated, but they just look like star fields, right? So then you go through this wormhole, and you get to a planet that is all water, right? It was a cool sequence. I like the sequence, but again, you're on an alien planet that is all water. We know what water looks like. <laughs> like oh, I'm not seeing anything that different. And then you get to a second planet and it's all white rocks. It's like I know what white rock like it's cool to see It's ice. It, right, it's cool to see like an ice planet where everything yeah. is ice. Have you seen a frozen cloud before? I mean, if we're just going on, no. And you know what I saw in Interstellar? I saw a frozen cloud that they flew through for one second, right? And nothing else. Nothing else ever happens again with the frozen cloud. With the planet that's all water, you see the you see. The up close of the water, you see a giant wave, and then you never see it again. You don't get, like, a shot of them, like, flying into the planet and everything, and them being like, wow, everything, like, literally everything is water. There's no land anywhere. You get them, it's it's very, and that, and I think that is my biggest, one of my biggest issues with the movie. It's very, for a movie that's supposed to be all about, like, love and family and kind of feelings, it's very clinical, And it's very to the point. It's very precise. It's very Mm -hmm. exact. It's very, we're going here. This is how we get there. Now we're there, right? You don't spend any time flying around and exploring. Yeah. Yeah. You don't spend, but it's a space movie. I loved it. You don't spend any movie flying around the, you don't spend any time on the ice planet exploring the ice planet, right? You get very exact shots. And, and maybe that's where the IMAX experience comes in, where you're able to look around and see all these different things, whereas I'm just seeing the one thing. And But at the same time, none of our characters are like, you know what I mean? Like, they're not exploring these planets. You, they get to the water planet. They do what they have to do. They leave.
1: It's over. I will say, okay, so one thing that I'm also talking about when I say the visuals is Christopher Nolan's choice of, camera placement of the shots how he's choosing to film his scenes so i will say i not only loved the visuals of them and saturn the star fields you know there's also the idea behind the images like when they go through the wormhole and they come out and he puts them against this new galaxy that's like mind-blowing a little bit that even though we're just seeing a star field in the context of the story, we're seeing a whole new like corner of the universe that we've never explored before. Now I know that it's like I've seen a nebula, I've seen pictures, right. I've seen you know, but in the context, that is really overwhelming. You know, so even though we're just seeing like starfield, nebula, and stuff like that that I've seen before, in the context, it it changes it, right? It sure, its impact but it on. still
0: is visually pedestrian
1: see no i see i'm not gonna the, say the theory but,
0: the theory anyway, is
1: different so I'm, I'm gonna say like from from the very beginning where you see him like the the, the cameras on his ship as he's
0: which is another thing going i didn't down. care for
1: see i loved it i loved this close tight up shot of the spacecraft that we don't get to see in how you do in every other film which is like here is, you know, the spaceship, you know, here's the Enterprise or mm-hmm. here's the um DeLorean as it's flying mm-hmm. away. You know, it's like here is a on camera, like on ship perspective of the front of the ship. Almost you're, you're kind of thrown off as to what you're looking at. And he goes back to that shot a few times. And Whoa. you also...
0: He goes back to that shot more than a few times. Right. And, and that's my issue.
1: Wait, wait, no, wait, wait, which I always, I always liked. I always appreciated. And you have his use of models with these spacecrafts, like docking and everything. All of that, all of that, I think, is <laughs> brilliantly <laughs> no, done and executed. No, 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 no. Are you kidding me? The
0: docking stuff is so stupid.
1: The spinning docking. The you, spinning
0: docking thing is cool. The the docking cutting back and forth of a guy moving a joystick and then the docking mechanisms like moving back and forth and missing each each other is so stupid that people were giggling in my theater when that was happening. It's literally a guy moving a joystick Mm -hmm. cut to two docking ends, like Mm -hmm. sort of fidgeting with each other, Mm -hmm. cut back to a guy with a joystick, cut back to the docking, back to the guy, back to the docking. It is Ridiculous, right? It's like that is goofy. <laughs> it doesn't not need to be in there, or it needs to be like a one-time back and forth. It is is prolonged too too much. And to go back to the the shots of the ship, the sort of POV shots of the ship, I did like those, but just to pick like a, a, a round number, if there are 50 outer space shots in this movie, 45 of them. Are POV shots of the ship? And then you're left with maybe five like grand space shots. And it's like, and that's what I want. I'm fine with the POV shots, but give me more of outer space, right? Give me more of their surroundings. I can only really think of one, and the one that you brought up of this giant shot of Saturn, and you see their little blinking light going through.
1: I mean, I will, I, I'm, I'm happy to wrap up the visuals conversation with this mm-hmm. and say that I think we. What no, I still have some things to say about the visuals. Okay, okay. What What I will say is what I was given. And again, I hate to go back, but that's why I brought it up at the very beginning to keep harping on this IMAX thing. Because I'm not even going to argue the specific points of the visuals and your experience of them versus mm-hmm. my experience. Just to say that my experience was such that the visuals I was given were enough for me because I think I was already being overwhelmed mm-hmm. you know, by the image itself, that it gave me enough to look at and to explore on my own. That I didn't feel I needed any more coverage shots of here's the ice planet here is the wave planet you know and I thought that his specific take on it the POV shots of the um ship that he keeps going back to and the few moments of that kind of grand perspective to me felt in peace with the whole film like I I thought that it worked well in the context of the film I didn't feel I wasn't left like you being like I wanted more just like get out of your own way, show the show me the whole piece of the pie or show me something new. I didn't even really feel like I needed that. I wanted
0: something new. I I, I wanted like I wanted a break. Right. I wanted, you know, these these astronauts spend two years in space getting to the wormhole. Right. And and it's not you never feel that. You never feel that they've spent two years in space, right? You never feel that they've spent longer than an hour in space because that's how long the movie has gone on.
1: Well, I'm going to say I loved his use of time. I loved his use of pacing. I, I thought his way of conveying time worked because you realize for Matthew McConaughey, even though he was asleep for two years and all that stuff, his experience probably feels like the film, you know, that he wasn't, really doing much more than what we saw him do Mm -hmm. other than the time that he was asleep for two years. Everything else was like happening pretty quickly in his own time. And all of a sudden he's at his daughter's deathbed, you know? And it's like, it feels, it probably feels kind of like a movie to him, you know, that's like all this happened so quickly for me. And the way that he conveyed the time with, um the the physicist who stays on the space you know shuttle Mm -hmm. when they go down to the water planet i thought was spectacularly done right he's like 22 years 23 years 23 years yeah Yeah. and And i'll uh, yeah i do want to
0: talk about that we'll talk about that next but quickly i just would have like i said i would have liked a little bit i would have liked more shots of space considering they're in space right just more you know wider shots of space, but you know when I'm and when I'm when I'm when I'm when I'm thinking of when I'm thinking of how pedestrian these images are, is I'm thinking of like the um, space travel slash time travel and like the fountain, right? That's something that we had never seen before, yeah. and it's a much smaller scale production of a movie. You know the scope is almost. The scope is basically the same in terms of the movie, but the scale of the movie is much smaller. And that was something that like, in terms of space and time travel, something I've never seen before. Tree of Life is kind of the same thing. Right, those images are things that I'd never seen. And that's that's what I was expecting, maybe. That's what I was hoping for going into it. And instead you get like, you know, Christopher Nolan is obviously a very visual-minded director, right? It almost feels like visuals above all else, and so it's of course it's very well shot. Everything looks great, but it looks to me very pedestrian. Like I said, the water planet—it's a water planet. It looks like a giant ocean.
1: Yeah, I mean the 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 huge enormous wave. The way that was, was realized It was shot in the way that. It does look like a mountain range in the background. Yeah. I thought was done really well. What I'll say too about Christopher Nolan as a visual filmmaker is I think you've hit on the reason why he is the big budget filmmaker And Terrence Malick and Darren Aronofsky, even though he finally got a hundred million dollar budget for the first time is uh, they're not. And I think it is because, they are visual in a way that they, they aren't thinking so much about progressing their narrative forward mm-hmm. as they are about relating, like, a mood or an idea. I think Christopher Nolan, everything he does is in service of his story, you know? So, like... I mean, yeah, in the... Well, yeah, no. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, so, I mean, like, with Terrence Malick, he can pause in the middle of his film and... Take on creation, you know, for 20 minutes and put in dinosaurs and leave people going, what? You know, Christopher Nolan is like, I am telling you a story like Inception. I'm telling you a story like Memento. I'm telling you a story like Interstellar that has a lot of moving pieces, The Prestige. But none of those do I think, what would I argue, like The Fountain, are... Concerned with more artistic aims, they're all trying to tell you like an interesting story, a narrative, Mm -hmm. you know. And all of his visuals have that kind of, you know, again, which is why I think a commercial feel to them like a commercial audience, this is their art film, you know. Like his films are their like their tree of life, and then they just don't see tree of life, you know. Yeah, I
0: was thinking about I I wanted to. I was thinking about the comparison to the commercial market and I was, and I was along those lines. I was thinking like this is the smart version of transformers. If that makes sense. You know what I mean? It's the smart blockbuster movie. It's the anti Michael Bay movie, but, uh, I have I have trouble even going that I have I would basically say it's the not dumb version of Transformers right because I don't think the movie is particularly smart.
1: All right, do you want to move into story? yeah? So we'll
0: move into story a little bit. So what so what did you think of the story itself?
1: Uh, you know, and again, what I appreciate if I look back at Christopher Nolan's films, especially ones that his brother has apparently worked heavily on. Mm-hmm. You know, going back to like. I even watched The Following and Memento, which is, I think, probably his best film for me. Memento. Still Memento. Mm-hmm. Um, what you have are really ambitious narratives, right? Narrative ideas that are then executed, I think, to varying degrees of success. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea is always, I think, solid. The execution may be the issue. I think those are mainly in play with his Batman films mm-hmm. where I will still go to bat for those all three of those films on the base basis of their core ideas. I think the third Batman film is a is it's a terrible. mess. It's a mess. So you know
0: th- wait a minute. So you think the story is always
1: solid, but the execution I think the story and the reach and the intent of, of the mm-hmm. story is is always like I would be excited if somebody sat down and told me, like if they were pitching me. I can't imagine sitting in a pitch meeting with them mm-hmm. and walking away from one of their ideas and being like, uh, that's... Even
0: the end of The Dark Knight?
1: Yeah, well, and, and this is what I'm saying. Like When you get into the Dark Knight and stuff like that, you have like David Goyer who's attached to the story. I think that guy's a nightmare. And, and some of that stuff, yeah. I think, maybe how much is he invested in it? How much is he mm-hmm. having control over that? But the Nolans is, is what I'm more concerned about, right? From, from the pitch, right? And then when you move into the actual execution, that's where I think you may lose some something in, in translation, mm-hmm. right? And maybe they're they're trying to find a way to make their idea work cinematically now. And so this one, the core idea of Interstellar, I think is solid all the way through. Like I love the fact if somebody was pitching me and they're like, we reference a ghost and that turns out to be the dad and you think everything's supernatural, but what you find out is that it's all humanity. And just like Stanley Kubrick said, we're moving into star children realm this movie realizes that idea and pushes it even one farther that we are now the functions of, you know, the the, the 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 functioners of the universe. Right. We're able to create and to, you know, live in five dimensions and outside of time and all that. Right. That is a really smart and exciting idea.
0: Yeah. I, li- I like I did like the story. Um, I like the scope of it. You know, of course, space, you know, it's kind of you're getting into Fermi Paradox territory kind of, you know, stuff, stuff that we talked about earlier. But, yeah, I like all that stuff. I will say the conclusion and the wrap up of the movie, explaining it to myself and talking about it with other people, I find it interesting. For whatever reason, it feels kind of cheap in the movie, right? It just almost feels like um it almost feels like a deus ex machina you know what Mm -hmm. i mean it almost feels like that like i it feels like that but then you can justify it you know what i mean but for some reason it kind of feels a little cheap to me but i do i do like it and i like the explanation and i do like all of the the idea that like these are all mechanisms that a just uh unthinkable generation of humanity has created and that we're following through with. And of course you kind of can get bogged down in like the time travel aspect of it and how that stuff works. But luckily the movie doesn't go there at all, despite, you know, wanting to kind of explain everything.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: But I liked, I did like the story. And I don't think I have any issues with the story itself, with sort of like the plot outline of the story. What I do have issues with is the characters, the writing, the idea that love sort of um, what's the line? It's like love is the only thing that can transcend space and mm-hmm, time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Y- you get into very like uh, hallmarky territory with it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And it's not it's it's treated as clinically as the storyline is treated where it's like this is the idea. The idea is that love transcends space and time. We're not going to show that to you. Right. We're not going to show that to you with the characters. We're just going to tell it to you and you have to believe it. And then we're moving on. And. And 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 that's how it's treated. Right. Even though it's the one thing that is not scientific. Right. It's love. It's a feeling. It's something that has to be experienced. It's something that has to be witnessed. But it's treated just as the theory of relativity is treated. Right. It's a scientist telling you this thing that you now have to believe is a truth.
1: I think Dr. Mann, his inclusion in this storyline is trying to ground that idea in a little more like scientific terms because he is kind of obsessed at the end with what, what the experience that um, Matthew McConaughey's character is having as his life is slipping away. You know, he's like, I can't, I can't look, but are you thinking of your children? You know, yeah,
0: Dr. Man was the one Sort of character. The one aspect of this movie that I really didn't understand. Like, I didn't understand any of his motivations. I didn't understand. Like, I thought I did, but then once I started questioning it, I was like, "Wait a minute. Why is he doing this? Like, why was he trying to sabotage Matthew McConaughey? I mean, I guess you could just say he went crazy.
1: No, no. I think that he has a. I think he has a legitimate perspective but i do think that he's also gone crazy i mean from the moment that they woke him up and he was bawling his eyes out made me feel from that that this guy's not all there like if i just woke a man up from i don't care if he'd been asleep for 20 years or whatever really like i would be terrified of him I'd be like, well, this yeah, is, yeah, this is not the reaction I want this person to be having, which is just to be uncontrollably bawling in my arms because this is a man who, like, wants to survive, right? As as bad as Dr. Man does, which he will risk and hazard everybody else in his own quest to survive. Yeah. And he is saying because he does not have family and people to live for that he does not have that desire that love right that feeling that um Matthew McConaughey gets to feel like to, that that is driving him to survive the only thing that's driving Dr. Mann to survive is survival itself
0: it's like a fear of death
1: a fear of death right but what and in Dr Mann I believe also addresses that where he's like I thought I was ready. I thought I could do this. And then I realized I couldn't, you know, but what he is obsessed with then is that same idea of love, you know, that can be that motivating factor for survival and, and for, and for giving up of yourself, which is why he keeps talking to Matthew McConaughey wanting to know, like, what are you feeling? Because he knows what he'd be feeling at that moment, pure and utter selfish desire to live yeah but Matthew McConaughey might be feeling something other you know it
0: almost becomes like a research project right it's exactly yeah gathering data at the end he's gathering
1: data at the end and and he wishes that he could observe it right he even he's like oh I wish I could I could see I just can't watch this you know it still
0: doesn't explain why he's trying to kill Matthew McConaughey though like why is he doing that it just doesn't make any sense to me like, I guess he's just following through on this lie that he collected data and that there's a livable space on the planet.
1: Well, because he knows huh? I'm trying I'm trying to remember because there's one line they says when he's when they're fighting. But I'm trying to go back and, and piece it together in my mind. So um, they they had already found out or had they not. They'd already found out that it was a lie. Right. That plan. No. A was a lie.
0: No. Oh, oh, the, uh,
1: that plan A was a lie. Because that—that's that, when Doctor yes. Man, yes, Doctor Man is—is is and he tells them he's right. like, oh yeah, he knew right. that this was not going to work or whatever. So my my thinking is he knows that um, there is no plan for getting humanity off of you know the planet, but he also knows that there's no way to sustain life on this planet you know he says he made up all the data he faked right. it so he wants to get off of there but he he's afraid i think that everyone else will want to you know repopulate or when they find out that he's lied mm-hmm. to them that they will try to you know go back or in some way hold him accountable mm-hmm. for his for his lies but if he can make it seem like everyone died there and he goes back, he could either get on the, on the plane and go back to earth mm-hmm. or even go to another, another planet. Even, you know, he maybe has a, has a better chance of, of, you know, survival. Mm-hmm. Um, my thinking is, is that he would want to go back to earth and just come back as like the hero and just be around people. Right. Mm-hmm. Extend his own survival. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd have to watch it again. I mean, this is off of one viewing, but maybe. Yeah.
0: Okay, so the story, so the the story's fine. What I have, I, I think the dialogue is pretty bad all around. Yeah. It's, I guess it's serviceable. It's serviceable. But then when you start looking at lines like... Like like the love line, basically, right? I can't remember what it is now. It just there's a lot of thing like writing is not Christopher Nolan's strong suit, I feel like. Like
1: Again, again, I would say it's interesting to view Christopher Nolan as a commercial, narratively driven filmmaker over and above somebody like Aronofsky or Malik, who who you've referenced. Like he is about Telling the story, telling it economically, right? Sure. Like doing what needs to be done. And I think he's about that in his writing as well. Like it's not poetic. He's not worried. If he wants poetry, he quotes it directly. Right. You know, and he and he has, has a character just say a poem outright. He doesn't try to create his own language for right. what he wants to say. And
0: he's that's just- fine as an explanation, but it doesn't mean it works. It doesn't mean it works well as writing in a movie it's a perfectly understandable explanation but maybe that explanation should then lead to that's why I hired this guy to write the dialogue for me right instead of it's not that important I'm just going to write it myself to get the point across and move on there's there's a moment in this movie where a character is literally throwing papers in the air and yelling eureka right mm-hmm. like that is terrible writing like that. That is that I understand the 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 pragmatism behind it. The sentiment. Right. I understand the sentiment. It's terrible writing and it's it's not. It's not justifiable by saying he's just trying to get a point across. It's like, OK, well, it's your point is that like you can't write very well,
1: right, right? No, but I think it's all part of what makes Christopher Nolan Christopher Nolan. It's it's the auteur theory of Christopher Nolan. I, I and I don't know him, but you know, I imagine that he's a very controlling director. Most you know good filmmakers are. They mm-hmm. they exhibit a lot of you know personal control over what they want to have happen. And I just you know I wonder if you know Christopher Nolan is just not willing to turn over you know, scripts and things like that to other people. Right. He, and I'm sure he's not. Right. And he that comes across
0: be, in the writing and dialogues yeah, of his movies. But
1: but again, I'm saying that I, I wonder, it's like, you know, in the job that I have, I work with, you know, students in college. And a lot of times, you know, these students, some of the best ones are also like almost crippled with like anxiety and doubt. And you realize that anxiety and self-doubt has driven them to be good students. That the very thing that's helping them be successful is also one of the biggest things that they have to overcome in life. You know, to just like relax sure. and be like, "You got this." Like, I know that you. You know, the, the the professor hasn't uploaded a grade yet, and it's midway through the semester. But you're fine. You're totally fine. You know. And and they they need that assurance. I just wonder if Christopher Nolan is the type of guy that you know if he were to give up that he wouldn't be the type of person to be so controlling over the other areas that have made him so successful you sure. know so it's like it's part of the bargain you know it's like I want Steven Spielberg I'm going to get lens flares I'm going to get daddy issues or you know wh- whatever like you know those are that's what makes him like tick and for Christopher Nolan it could be a negative Right. But it, but it's also like it's spurned out the same thing that bursts some of the positive aspects of them. You, you, you just got to take them both together. Right. Sure.
0: Um, yeah, I don't disagree. I'm just saying that that's not, that doesn't, it that doesn't suddenly make the writing good.
1: Well, no, no I don't think it makes it good. But again, like for me, it's like, it's like context. It's like Eureka. And it's like, yeah, if somebody was saying like, how can I most economically, like, it's like, <laughs> Eureka, that's where I go to, you know? Yeah. And uh, and yeah, it's like, ugh, I wouldn't have written Eureka. Right. But Christopher Nolan, who made a film that I could never make, wrote Eureka. Sure. <laughs> uh,
0: so speaking of the writing, let's talk about the central relationship of the movie. The uh, Matthew McConaughey... And Murph. And Murph, which... Again, evidence uh, his poor writing evidences Murphy's itself Law, in Murph. naming a child Murph, and that name is so like it just is like.
1: <sighs> is it kind of like moist for you? It's just a bad sounding. It just word. is a terrible thing to name Murph. a
0: character. Like it's it's not like it's not like a cutesy nickname. It just is a terrible sounding word when people in your movie are constantly repeating it over and over again. And Matthew McConaughey says, says it, so it sounds like he's saying like Merv. <laughs> like it just is was such a weird choice, right? But anyways, so yeah, Matthew McConaughey and Jessica Chastain slash whoever the girl is that plays the 10-year-old.
1: I think that was Matthew McConaughey's daughter, real-life daughter.
0: I don't think it is. Really? I thought no. I heard somebody say that. It's not. Um, so what did you think of that relationship? Did it, does it work for you on emotional level? Like, obviously it works on a, you know, story level. Did it work for you on an emotional level? You know, how did those, you know, beats read for you? The
1: child did. Jessica Chastain as an adult Mm -hmm. largely did not. And I forgot who I I listened to, but I think they kind of nailed it where they were like, it's like she's had no internal life like since he left, but she's also right. working for NASA. So if there's ever somebody who'd be like, he didn't want to leave exactly. us. It would be her who'd be like, maybe he didn't want to leave now. I think what they were hinting at is an interesting point that, um, Matthew McConaughey's father-in-law, John Lithgow, brings up, which is this idea that he was born, you know, like 60 years too late and early. Like he wants to be an explorer. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's what he wanted to be. And he cannot be that now. So, you know, that is why maybe you would think he left us. Like why a child might think that if they had tuned into the fact, like daddy always wanted to be an explorer. Right. But They didn't really say, like, he seems to be an awesome dad. And at some point you'd think growing up working with NASA, you'd be like, well, my dad was an awesome dad and he's trying to save us. Not every time she thinks about her dad, to leave, she immediately jumps to like, you want to leave us, you're happier. Well,
0: yeah, I want to speak to the awesome dad thing in a minute. But first, I want to talk about the the clinicalness with. With that Christopher Nolan treats this the story of this movie, I feel like he also treats the relationship. So, like, you have the scene of... You have about 30 minutes of, like, the family life, I guess, which is nothing spectacular. And I didn't feel personally like there was a lot of, like, relationship building in that 30 minutes. Again, it's very practical. It's very, you know, we're moving the story along. These are the beats we need to hit. You the, the, they find the underground NASA base, right? They ask, um, what's his name? Uh, Michael Kane propositions McConaughey and, you know, says, we want you to pilot this ship. The very next scene is him saying goodbye to his family. You don't get like a, You don't get like any moments of him struggling with it. I loved it. You don't, yeah, you don't get any, you don't get any moments of him like spending time with his daughter. Even one scene in between where it's like, you don't know what he's going to do. And he's spending time with his daughter. And you're kind of getting this feeling of like, this is what I'm giving up. And then the scene where he's saying goodbye to his daughter, it is literally, we want you to fly this ship the next scene, he's saying goodbye to his daughter, and it's like, if, like I said before, if you're making a movie about love, you have to demonstrate that, you have to show that, I never got the feeling from the dialogue, or the acting, really, I, I, I was never convinced of the relationship between the father and daughter, right, the, the, the whole scene when he's in the bedroom speaking to her is terrible because the words he's saying are terrible because the writing's terrible right there's a <laughs> moment in that scene where he says something along the lines of like it's supposed to be this profound father moment he says something along the lines of like
1: where memories parents, for children right now.
0: parents jobs are to beat memories for their children and it's like it's uh, it's it's not comforting in any way. It doesn't make sense at all, <laughs> and it's like a terrible sentiment. Even if it did make sense, right? It just is so stupid. Um, it, it it just like and and you have this this five minute long, however long it is, scene between them two where they're arguing, and it's supposed to very be very emotional. That I was not affected by at all. And then right after that, you have the scene where he's driving away, right? And he looks under the thing for his daughter and then it cuts to her running out. That was more, that 10 second visual was more affecting to me than the five minute quote unquote emotional dialogue between the two. And that's like, that's what I want. That's what I wanted more of. I wanted more of a visual story than 2 hours and 59 minutes of diet bad dialogue and bad exposition. That's what bo- that and that really bothered. That's and that's what that's what brought the movie down for me. Like I said, the to me the visuals were nothing spectacular and so when I then get this writing and dialogue, it just makes it seem that much again, worse is not the right word because I don't think the movie's bad. I didn't dislike it, but it it's it what it keeps it in sort of like a mediocre plateau
1: mm-hmm.
0: and sorry no it's fine to, to to speak to the good father thing this could can just be a really quick point <laughs> what is his character cooper right matthew McConaughey's character cooper and the movie itself does not care at all about his son yeah right like if if we're to think if we are to actually think about his relationship with his son and how the son is treated throughout the movie, Matthew McConaughey is a terrible father right. and a terrible person. Right. And that's like, why is the son even there? He's basically useless. Just to get rid of him completely and replace his character with like just like some guy that bought the farm, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I kind of got the sense that McConaughey that Cooper identified his daughter as the one who needed more of his emotional attention and everything and that the son was pretty much like yep yeah, this is my life and i'm happy with it as happy as i could be and that his son was pretty you know unperturbed by life in general you know where he's like hey so your score's gonna make you a farmer huh and he's like but that's obviously not
0: true. By the end of the movie, you see how angry he is with everybody.
1: Yeah, well, I feel like he's, I don't know. I feel like his motivations are a little less clear. I don't think that he's as, ups- I, I guess he is a little bit. And and yeah, I mean, I I would mean, say
0: he's upset enough to where another character thinks he may be coming back to murder them.
1: Right, right. <laughs> but, but he's driven that way because of, what he's been through. I think not so much because of Cooper, but because he lost a child already sure. because his son is dying. He's and his gone wife through more than uh, Murph has gone right, through. And it's, and it's all because, you know, he, this is all he has left this farm. Sure. You know? And so I think, I think it's more, it's more about that, but you know, going back to what you said, I I'll give you the, 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 the dialogue and the, weird now to be uh, memories for our children like that is a self-serving line that doesn't really make sense that is like hey look i'm supposed to be a memory anyway so why don't i just be a memory a little earlier you know for you right um but that relationship
0: is the emotional core of that is the whole you know that is the center of the movie right that is the that is the love speech that is the love that's driving this uh discovery that's that's driving everything is this relationship that i and like i'm the i'm the bullseye of the target audience for that relationship right like i have two daughters if anybody should walk into this movie and be affected by that relationship it should be me i i want to be right yeah but i just it wasn't there for me look, for whatever look,
1: reason. Look, I, I do agree that w- the the parts that Christopher Nolan is most cool and cold on are the relationships. And it is like he doesn't fully understand familial relationships, which is weird because he has a brother, obviously, they works with. Mm-hmm. I assume that he loves. Um, but yeah, I, I heard somebody bring up, and I agree, Like at the end where he's at his daughter's deathbed and she's like, I got my family with me. I don't need you. You know that? And he's like, see ya. Like they could have, I think complicated the the relationship a little more and made it more about Cooper saying like, you don't need me. And that's why I'm leaving Mm -hmm. versus I love you. I want to be here. I'm leaving unwillingly because you' You were at some point, you can't have it both. I think he wanted it both ways. I think Christopher Nolan wanted it that you know, Cooper at one time wanted to be there with her so bad in equal amounts that he wants to explore and save the world. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And one of those has to take precedence. so i I would have rather had him be more utilitarian with his children and like taken a more like close encounters approach, which I still don't like close encounters because Richard Dreyfus is such a bad dad, mm-hmm. but Steven Spielberg realized like you can't have it both ways. You know, Richard Dreyfus cannot at one point be saying, I want to stay here on earth so bad with my family and I want to go away and explore new things with this alien race. And uh, which one is it going to be? And you have to understand that I love you so much. At the end of the film, Richard Dreyfus is pretty much like, peace, you're, you're going to have horrible <laughs> daddy issues. Bye-bye. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I respect Spielberg's approach in that way, but I hate the movie for it. Mm-hmm. I think Christopher Nolan tried to have it both ways again, and he should have just committed. He should have just had Cooper be like, I'm giving up you know, your childhood for a greater goal, and then see her later on in life and not be able to access her on her deathbed, mm-hmm. where she literally is like, I'm really happy to see you, Dad, but these are my people. Like this is my family. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want you to be here mm-hmm. for this moment. I want you to. You know, it's great to see you. Now go, continue your work. Mm-hmm. But Christopher Nolan tries to have it both ways, right? Yeah, he tries to say like, oh, they love each other so much, and she's so happy to see him. At the same time, she she wants him to go. <laughs> you know I mean It yeah. doesn't. Those two things, they're like magnets that push away from each other right
0: yeah yeah no it, it, and it, yeah, it's the same thing of just like okay, this is what we're trying to tell you with the scene we've told it to you now we can move on right yeah it's very like I said, like I've been saying it's very it was very clinical to me, but anyways when when he gets back on the ship, right, and the guy is his name, what's his name the physicist right he's like you've been gone for twenty three years like my like heart sunk, right? Like that moment was intense, was yeah. really intense. Yeah. And then it's completely ruined by him watching videos for five minutes, which again, like Matthew McConaughey in that scene is really going for it. And the vi- I feel like the videos, that, 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 that scene to me, it's just it's like completely ineffective. For some reason, it just is like completely devoid of emotion despite how emotional it's trying to be, right? And then literally, as soon as that scene is over, he's completely back to normal, they're back to action, they're back, they're moving on to the next thing, right? It, it, it's never once again, like, you never once again see him, like, distraught, that 23 years, like, like, the idea, I'm, and I'm sure it's the same for you, the idea to me as a father that I could have missed 23 years of my children's life is devastating, right? Like the idea, like the idea that I would miss a day of my child's life is is like just like unimaginable, right? And I and I feel like the twenty three years thing, it, it's it, I mean, again, I am just, guess I'm just saying the same thing over over and over again. It's just is handled like everything else, right? It's like it's been twenty three years. Yes, that's devastating. We're moving on. This is a part of his character now, or whatever. But we're moving on.
1: Yeah, I I guess I would say, like, what's he going to (laughs) do? You know what
0: I mean? like, I mean, he's going to be a little distraught about it, at least. I I
1: think he is. but, But, I mean, his mission is to try and ultimately, at that point in his mind, get back to his family as quickly as possible. 23 years has now happened. He cannot change that. And we do see him distraught. And like you said, Matthew McConaughey goes for it. And to me, it was, it was effective. I wasn't crying, but I felt the emotion of that scene. And I, I thought that was done well. Um, so, I mean, I, I'd have to, and I did like, I did like the economy of the storytelling. I honestly did. I love the fact that the physicist is like, yeah, I've been here for 23 years. And like, why didn't you sleep? He's like, well, I don't want to sleep my life away. And you know, it's just these little moments of where you realize the impact that that had on him, and you realize sure. he is not the same. Like, but we're but we're not going to give him those moments of like whatever new ticks he has from being alone for twenty three years. You know what I mean? Like in outer space, but he definitely has those ticks. He's he's changed now. You know. Sure, I, I thought that he conveyed that well in just his one little speech and then we're moving on. Right. And and
0: the, and I I agree with that. I agree with the economy on that side character that we don't follow. I don't agree with that same economy being applied to the main character who are supposed to be the most emotionally involved with.
1: Well, the, the other issues is that I think you're already at two hours and 45 minutes that, you know, if we were to pause for you know new visuals, like you were saying of like, planets and space and then, you know, fleshing out backstory and Murph and, and, and all that stuff. I, I just don't see how you do that in one film, I agree. you know? And so I think he had, what he decided to do was to economize as much as possible and tell the bare bones of the narrative. And I think he did lose emotional impact of, of that but the whole story arc to me too was as overwhelming as the visuals were for me like it all worked in concert to still overwhelm me without having those moments i could point to like oh this scene like that knocked me for a loop it was all just like together in the whole experience ended up being a really pretty amazing overwhelming experience that I wasn't able to maybe sort through as clearly as I mm-hmm. am with other films. Cause it was so much, right? It was just so so much going on. Mm-hmm. But I know that made me want to watch it again, like once it was over.
0: Yeah. And I guess to to close, I would say as overwhelmed by everything as you were, I was underwhelmed by. And and, the, and to me, that overwhelming story can be summed up by saying the Earth was dying, we figured a way to get off, and, uh, and a human civilization possibly thousands of years removed figured out a way to send somebody back to fix it.
1: I would say... I, I want like it it's
0: really not any more complicated than that. Yeah. I mean obviously that's a complicated idea. exactly. but exactly. it's not like a lot of people have been saying it's like a Shyamalanian twist mm. and I don't really see that. No, I don't see that. the twist as much as it it's like I said before, earlier, you're wrapping everything up in a very neat bow, right. And I think that's always going to feel a little cheap. Regardless of how well you do it, except the sun is completely left out. Yeah, he's the he is the only character that has no resolution in this movie.
1: I I I would say so. But before we close officially, I do want to talk about quickly get your ideas on sure and mention that I want people to talk more about these more than we did. But Tars and okay, case like I thought. Their design, I thought their Hated it. function. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> we should just end it. I thought they were amazing, uh-huh. amazingly designed, executed, thought out. When it goes into when it goes to rescue, brand mm-hmm. you know, in the water planet, and you actually see it function. That that was like a twist. That was surprising because it looks like a refrigerator right. starting off. And then seeing its well, functionality. It looks like a monolith. It looks like a monolith. Exactly. But but again, you have to make it work. And I thought they made it work so, so well in terms of its actual function. I I loved, loved mm-hmm. TARS and and the robots.
0: I liked everything about them except for their base form because it is so unwieldy and it is so impractical of a form. I mean they're basically enormous monoliths, right? Yeah. it, it just is like it doesn't make any sense at all. And and, and I'll and, and I'll say that there the robots dialogue and interaction is the only actual dialogue and interactions in the movie. Everything else, you know, everything that John Lithgow says to Matthew McConaughey is exposition, right? He's telling you what you need to know about Matthew McConaughey's character. Every piece of dialogue between characters in this movie is exposition. It's not actual dialogue. They're not talking about anything as much as they are giving you information that you need to know so the movie can move on to the next plot point. Whereas the, you know, the, the setting, the humor settings, truth setting stuff is, is genuinely funny, and it's interesting dialogue, right? It's an interesting moment between, with Matthew McConaughey interacting with this robot, and it's like a nice break from the bullet train that is the story, Right? And you know, with that being said, it's like 30 seconds of a two-hour and 50-minute movie. Uh, but the, the 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 robots, you know, as much as I I didn't I didn't I don't care about the robots really at all. Like their base form to me is a strange decision because of how impractical it is and how like just like stupid it looks when they're moving back and forth it just doesn't make any sense why something like that would be designed especially now when you know this movie is supposed to take place in the near future and you think about the robots that are being designed now and how powerful they are and then you go 2 to 300 years in the future maybe like and all of a sudden it's like the it's like the Star Wars issue right where it's like the first movies are supposed to take place before the original trilogy. And yet all of the technology in the first movies is like way more advanced than the technology and the movies that take place later in the universe. You know right. what I mean? It just didn't make, it just was a weird decision to me, you know, I. but like I said, it didn't make me like, like the movie less. It okay. just seemed like a weird, you know, that just seems weird. Here are two things I wanted to talk about two things that I wanted to work out with you. The first, we were just talking about the time slippage on the water planet. Yes why does that <laughs> why does that time slippage only apply to one planet in the galaxy because of its proximity to the black hole? Oh, okay. It was closer to the black Well, there you go. That explains it. Okay. Uh, the second one, Murph is 10 years old. During their uh, emotional scene in the bedroom, Matthew McConaughey is trying to comfort her, and he says something <laughs> like, there's a possibility that when I come back, you're the same age as I am, We're, that will be the same age, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever age Matthew McConaughey is in the movie, it doesn't say. During the second emotional scene where he's watching the video of Murph all grown up, she says, um, I'm only making this video because today is the day, uh, because you said to me that you could come back and we would be the same day. And 23 years later, today is the day that we're the same age, Right.
1: So you're going to say he's 33?
0: 23 plus 10 is 33. I'm 32 years old, okay? Matthew McConaughey is not 33 years old. He's 45 years old. And that was something that just like, when she said that in the thing, I didn't know how old Matthew McConaughey was, of course. I had to look it up after the movie. But like I knew he wasn't 33, and that just seemed like a... It just seemed like a strange, like like why not just make it his actual age?
1: You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd have to watch again to verify those numbers. But uh Oh,
0: they're they're correct. Trust me.
1: Okay. All right. So that's it. You
0: don't have anything else about uh Interstellar? Nope. Loved it. You loved well, let's talk about that. You loved it. Loved it. In the Christopher Nolan canon, where does this go?
1: Oh uh, gosh! I mean, still, like I said, I think I think Memento is a more complete picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, this might be number two. Really, this might be number two.
0: Hmm. All right. Uh, I'm not a big fan of Christopher Nolan, so I'm not even going to bother ranking them. Yeah. <laughs> um. So that's it. That's that's our discussion on Interstellar. Uh, If you agree, disagree, let us know, send us some emails or not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're going to take a break and we're going to come back and close with recommendations. Last show's recommendation. Last show I recommended Diarrhea Planet's KEXP <laughs> performance. What'd you think?
1: Uh, Well, I, I saw, I forgot how I saw. Did you post a video of your daughters dancing to you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure so did. I know that your daughters are big fans of that <laughs> particular video and, and performance. Um, yeah, I thought they were great.
0: Elise,
1: my wife, was pretty much immediately like, turn this off.
0: Really? Yeah. Why?
1: Uh, She did not get it. She didn't get where they were coming from. She she wasn't on board. Hmm. Um, And from the moment they intros his first song, I was pretty on board. Yeah. I don't think in terms of that whole performance... I don't think they reach the heights that they do on that first song. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. That the first, first song, song is definitely the best. Is amazing. Yeah. Um. So, the so I'll say that about it. Um. But overall, I mean, they're they're definitely a band that I've I've now like included. So, in.
0: did you listen to the album?
1: Yes, and we talked about it a little bit. Like when I was asking you, like, does it sound like this? And mm. you're right, it sounds different. Right. it, d- it does sound different. And again, nothing yet has hit the high of, of the that first, first performance, first right? Song.
0: And yeah, and I and and that's why I wanted to recommend the video first because I don't know if I would have liked the band and the album as much if I hadn't seen at least a maybe a performance first. But like I've told you or like I told you I think maybe after that recommendation like there was a day in the week where i went into work and i put that album on and it played back to back for 8 hours i just didn't i just left it on while i was working and i have have really enjoyed it and it was and it's and it's it's become they've become like the 2001 andrew wk or whenever it was for me where it was like andrew wk first comes out and i don't get the joke right i just see it as this guy is just a big idiot And then it's like, yeah, that's the joke. (laughs) He's a big idiot. Right. And and that was it. You know, I had a friend, you know, Marco recommended to me, he was like, listen to Diarrhea Planet. And I was just like, there's there's no way I'm listening to a band that's (laughs) called Diarrhea Planet. There's no way. Well, yeah, good. I'm glad you liked it. What's your uh, recommendation?
1: So using the theme of interstellar space. Sure. And... Um, you know, last time I recommended a short story. This is a film that feels like a short story, mm-hmm. and involves space. And I think it is the antithesis of Interstellar. The running time, I think, it barely hits an hour and a half. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, in those ways, I think it's different. Mm-hmm. But, but I would, I'd like, I think it's a, it's a good companion piece. Maybe I'd say mm-hmm. to Interstellar. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's on Netflix.
0: Europa Report, right? Europa Report. And is that directed? Who's that directed by?
1: I have no idea. Oh, okay. New filmmaker.
0: Okay. Lars Van Trier did a movie called Europa, right? Yeah, I saw it. I saw it too.
1: It made me feel like dirty. Yeah. I I don't think there's a content. I think it's just the way they filmed it. Just. Ugh. I'm it not a fan of it Lars Van Trier. It made me Van feel Trier. weird. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, uh, that does it. That's our show. We did it. Knocked it out of the park.
1: Yeah. Are we running as long as Interstellar?
0: (laughs) Almost. We're long. Nice. Yeah. Um, You can follow the show on Twitter. We are at Brown Blue White. If you have any questions, comments, uh, feedback on our Interstellar review, you know, hit us up on Twitter. You can send us an email. All that stuff will be in the description for the show. Links for all that stuff will be in the show notes. It'll be on our website, brownbluewhite.com. dot uh, You can follow us individually on Twitter. Um, I again, I am just. I had some of the feedback we've received, is, and I feel like this is something that you run into any podcast you listen to, where people are just like, you sound too similar, right? Where like, I don't think we sound similar, but I guess other people do. And so they're like, "You need to introduce introduce yourselves more often, right?" So maybe just like randomly, we'll just be like,
1: "This is Justin
0: checking in here."
1: Keith Kripko responding yeah. to Justin. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, so yeah, you can follow me, Justin. I am on Twitter. I am at Blizzard with nine Z's. Keith is on Twitter.
1: I am at Things Come Right.
0: And uh, like I said, everything else you can find in the show notes. And I don't know if we know what we'll talk about on the next show, but there will be a next show in at the longest a month. (laughs) See you in 30 days or less.